Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death, where my brother John and I, we answer your questions, we give you dubious advice, and we bring you all of the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, I was wondering how you're doing. Uh, You know, I'm doing really well, mostly because of the news from AFC Wimbledon, but I'm also doing terribly because... Uh, I just have gotten out of the dentist's office, like I have just risen from the dentist's chair as I am recording this, and I am in terrible, terrible pain in my lower jaw. Uh, do they let you cast? Do they let you do the pod from the dentist's office? That's nice of them. No, I mean, I then I then drove to work, and, you know, now I'm here. But yeah, I, I, I cannot recommend... This all started, as you know, Hank, uh, many, many years ago, like like yes, 18 yes. years ago, uh, when I was mm-hmm. hit by a bike messenger on the streets of Chicago, his shoulder into my jaw and nose. Uh, and here I am 18 years later, still uh, being, I mean, I was in tears. I am not, I am not a brave man when it comes to dentistry. <laughs> uh, still suffering, uh, trying to get this uh, problem solved once and for all. But hopefully we're only one dental visit away uh, but then again, it, it's far too soon to uh, count the chickens. They have not yet hatched. How are you? Uh, good. I want to ask you a quick question. Uh, sure. Answer, answer my, one of my questions, John. If you could have the opportunity to uh, meet that bike messenger, would you? And if so, what would you say? I mean, the thing is, I really, I genuinely don't hold it against the bike messenger because I think that that bike messenger was uh, forced by the nature of his profession to be going the wrong way down a one-way street at great speed. And to be fair to him, I was standing on the curb and he had to bike because of where the cars were very near the curb. And he just didn't notice me. I was reading a book. He was, you know, biking, his shoulder, my face. The one thing I do kind of wishes that maybe um he'd stopped (laughs) he did stop briefly uh i lost consciousness for a little bit and when i regained consciousness i did see him but the moment i started to get up he biked away (laughs) (laughs) he was like well i didn't kill him let's move on (laughs) yeah uh it wasn't 
I mean, I, I honestly don't bear him any ill will. It's just funny. You, what's that great Fitzgerald line about you never know how much space you take up in other people's lives? Mm-hmm. Like that bike messenger has no idea uh, <laughs> how central he has become to my personal narrative. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You never know. You never know. I'm doing good, John. I, it's beautiful. I'm home in Montana. It's gorgeous. My wife is very ill. Uh, not very, not, oh, not, no, in, not in a way that, uh, that that makes that sound, but she's sick and, and I'm taking care of her and, um, and I am, a, I'm a, I'm a pretty happy camper aside from that. Uh, I got a lot of stuff to do, but I'm not, a st- I'm going to stop saying that on, on the pod, John, cause I keep saying it and I think it makes me sound like, uh, a broken record a little bit and also like a, like a bit of a douche. I don't want to always be being like, I'm so busy. I'm a busy man. Yeah, you know, the problem with being busy. I'm a very busy man, John. Back when I lived in Chicago, I would often think about this because I would see uh, business people in suits rushing to the train as if, um, you know, their time was, was fundamentally more important than my time. And as if the like three minutes they might save was going to make a big difference to the rest of their day. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if that's true... It, you're correct that it comes across as douchey. That's why I never run to the train. Um, in <laughs> fact, that's why I never run. <laughs> you run all the time. You are an exercising fool. Hank, would you like a short poem for today? Oh, okay, let's do it. All right, this poem is by Francis Darwin Cornford, who, Hank, you'll be pleased to know, was a granddaughter of uh, Charles Darwin himself. Oh, this poem is called On Rupert Brooke. Rupert Brooke was a uh, World War I poet who uh, died in World War I. A young Apollo, golden-haired, stands dreaming on the verge of strife, magnificently unprepared for the long littleness of life. Mm. The long littleness of life, one of the, the great phrases about human existence I've ever come across. Uh, that poem was recommended by Sam. So thank you, Sam. By the way, Hank, Francis Cornford's husband was named, guess? Ah, uh, Charles Darwin. Francis Cornford. Oh, interesting. It was Francis and Francis. It would have been funny if it had been Charles Darwin and she just kept her maiden name instead of going back to her her old, that's what I was hoping for. But I was wrong. I, I, you know, it maybe would have been my, my next guest, John, if you had asked again. Uh, did you know that... A- you know what? You want to know what Francis Cornford's father's name was? Francis Cornford? No, Francis Darwin, of course, because he was a Darwin. Oh, God dang it. <laughs> uh, let's move on to some questions from our <laughs> listeners. Uh, I, do, I want to say first, John, did you know that, that uh, the god Apollo was born in a place? I did not. I just I think it's very strange. Like the whole the whole like panoply, the the like the Greek god stuff. It's all it's all fascinating to me, and I think we understand it improperly in some ways because we are we are not of that world, uh, and so we we read and think about these things in, in our, inside of our own frameworks. And the idea that, and I only recently I don't know why I learned this, but I, I was like it was like ah oh, this city in Greece, the birthplace of Apollo, and I was like Apollo. Mm-hmm. Gods don't get born, but of course they do, because it's a different kind of thing. And that's all I wanted to say, John. Is it time for other things? Is it time for questions? Is that the thing that we do? I think we should I think we should go ahead and address some of the questions our listeners have sent us uh, via the email address, hankandjohn at gmail.com. Okay, let's do that. We have one here. It's from Foster, and I like this question a lot. 
who asks, it, it's kind of a Hank question, but I think you can weigh in as well. Dear Hank and John, according to the dictionary, a desert is, quote, a region so arid because of so little rainfall that it supports only sparse and widely spaced vegetation or no vegetation at all. Does that make outer space a desert? Yes. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say yes. What do you think, John? I agree. I mean, it's the desertiest desert of all because the vegetation is, as far as we know, exceptionally sparse. <laughs> like in the exceptionally sparse in the big massive universe, there is yeah. just the one locale uh, with vegetation that we know of. That, that we, we know, know of, of. certainly. Uh, and, and even if there are even if there are millions of of spots of vegetation, they are sparse. They are spaced apart. Yeah, and. Uh, and it's interesting to think of the amount of uh, of rainfall uh, in space. But in a way, rain does fall, at least precipitation does fall from space. We know that Earth and and other uh, other planets are seeded with water from comets uh, that, that crash down on Earth. And that's part of the reason why we've been able to maintain the amount of water that we have on Earth throughout the last four billion years. Um, and so in that way, it kind of does rain on these little oases of, uh, of, of vegetation, at least in our solar system. And, uh, yeah, and, and deserts were always kind of seen as, you know, you can think of them like oceans, uh, in ancient times because it was so difficult to cross them that they were basically like, whatever's going on on the other side of that desert has nothing to do with us and and kind of never will, um, and uh, and and in that same way, outer space is our desert right now. It is the inhospitable place that we still cannot cross, and that uh, and and will remain that way at, at least until we get our butts to Mars, John, which is also a desert. Well, I for one hope that we never uh, begin to cross the desert of outer space, because uh, from what I can tell from soap operas set in space, that's when all the trouble starts. Oh well, there's soap operas here on Earth too, John. We start trouble everywhere we go. <laughs> all right, Hank. We have another question. This one comes from Isis, who writes, "Dear John and Hank, my name is Isis, which is sort of the problem. I'm named after an Egyptian goddess, but ever since the Salafi jihadist militant group started gaining more media attention, my name is viewed from a very different perspective. Every time I introduce myself to someone." I'm scared for their reaction. While a lot of people are aware of my struggle, there are still people who like to joke about my name, and people tend to associate it with something negative, and I don't know how to deal with this. Do you have any advice? Lots of love, Isis. P.S. Maybe I should consider changing my name to Ryan? First off, <laughs> Isis, that is a fantastic idea. Let's just have, uh, I'm surprised that we keep getting questions from not Ryan. I, it's upsetting. Yeah, it's weird. In fact, Hank, this week we didn't get a single question from Ryan, which is so odd because everyone should have changed their name to I Ryan based on our previous thinking. podcast. <laughs> Obviously, maybe they just haven't. Maybe they just haven't gotten the memo yet. But Isis, I think the correct decision here um, is to abandon your name, your family heritage, and uh, your parents, and change your name to Ryan. <laughs> no, I don't think that's the correct solution at all. I want to point out here that Isis has put uh, the word "struggle" in quotation marks. So Isis. Is aware that this is yes. This, I, I I don't want uh, I want everyone to know that is all. <laughs> yeah, no. I think ISIS is aware that it is a problem of uh, you know limited import, but still significant to ISIS. Yes, uh, that blows. Is that are we allowed to say that word? I'm sorry. I think we are allowed to say that something blows, but only if we then say chunks. I think that blows chunks, Isis. I apologize <laughs> for the structure of the universe that, that this unusual thing has happened to you. Yeah, but at the same time, I think it's important not to let uh, Isis hijack your name. 
Yeah, you've got to continue being ISIS and uh, explain over and over and over again, as annoying as it might be, uh, that you are named after an Egyptian goddess, not after a uh, recently formed uh, jihadist group. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, what, what I what I mean when I with, from my previous comment is uh, that we will all be in circumstances in our lives uh, to greater or lesser extents that are unusual, surprising, weird coincidences that we think. Why has this happened to me? But it's because there are so many of them uh, that we are bound to have one of these weird, unfortunate things happen to us. And this is one of the ones that has happened to you, Isis. And and when they happen, the thing to do is just live your life despite it. Yeah, I mean, the only alternative is to start going by a nickname, um, which I think is fine if you want to. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with, I don't think you like the, this is necessarily the hill that one has to fight and die on. <laughs> if you want to start going by a nickname, I think that you should feel, feel welcome to. And if you do choose to start going by a nickname, might I suggest Ryan? <laughs> All right, John, we got another one. This one is from RJ who asks, dear Hank and John, I'm a biology teacher in Texas where we give a standardized test every year uh, from the state. While I'm proctoring this test, I cannot read grade papers, plan lessons, work on my computer, or otherwise do anything except stare at the students as they sweat it out for sometimes up to five hours. If I break these rules, I could lose my teaching license. Any dubious advice on how I can pass the time without being bored to death would be much appreciated. Oh, I don't know. Just burn it all to the ground. That sounds awful. <laughs> Yeah, spend that whole five hours fantasizing about a world in which we find ways to measure educational outcomes other than standardized tests. That, that, that require uh, such dedication to the prevention of cheating that, that we require yeah. someone to be paid I, what I hope is a fair wage to sit and do nothing. My first response is just that I'm fascinated by your use of the phrase bored to death. And I think there's something uh, worth unpacking there. Uh, like David Foster Wallace wrote in The Pale King. If Can I read you a quote, Hank? Oh, of course you can. Maybe dullness is associated with psychic pain because something that's dull or opaque fails to provide enough stimulation to distract people from some other deeper type of pain that is always there, if only in an ambient low-level way, and which most of us spend nearly all our time and energy trying to distract ourselves from feeling, or at least from feeling directly or with our full attention. And maybe that's like what's so utterly horrifying about the prospect of spending five hours doing nothing um, mm. except sort of being alone with your own thoughts is that the, for me at least, like the thought of being alone with my thoughts is rather terrifying. Right. I get that. At the same time, like we're not all Buddhist monks and maybe RJ is perfectly well adjusted and fine with being alone and thinking in silence sometimes, but not for five straight hours, co consistently several times through the year. Like, I don't know. That seems... No, just once a year. Is it? Is it? I don't know. Well, that's what it says. It just says once a year. Once a year is not so bad to spend five hours alone with your thoughts, unless there's something terrifying inherently about being alone with your thoughts, which I think there is, because I think the thing that it raises, the like question that it raises, at least for me, when I spend an extended period of time just uh, thinking is that uh, I am not actually in control of these thoughts. Like, I don't actually decide what to think mm -hmm. about, which 
is truly like a horror movie, right? Like if you're stuck inside of a consciousness, uh, but you cannot <laughs> shape the directions in which it goes, y- you are kind of like a, a protagonist in a uh, horror film. Okay. At the same time, I, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe there is a a fundamental like problem with this boredom that that's beyond just the nothing to do that is the 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 being inside of a brain that one cannot control that that seems to me i'm just going to disagree with you and i think that it's fine that we disagree that seems to me to just not doesn't have to be a deep philosophical problem it could just be like i'm bored and this sucks and that's okay that's how i feel we could differ and uh but I th- I don't really have any any solution for RJ though, which is what he's asking for, not not a clinical diagnosis. Uh, so uh, <laughs> not I'm not trying to diagnose anybody with anything. I'm just telling <laughs> RJ that he is not alone in okay. not wanting to be alone with his no. thoughts for five hours. In fact, I think it's pretty much universally yes. human. Yes, and and uh, and the people who can do it, and I and and like spending time, even even like. Five minutes meditating can be very difficult. Uh, with and and my my mind is always racing and and always doing things. Um, and even if even if I'm sitting there doing absolutely nothing, that doesn't mean that I'm paying attention to these students. I could be in another world. Right. The idea that I can't be listening to a podcast while I'm watching these kids is ridiculous because there's, whether or not I'm listening to a podcast, there's a podcast in my brain and I could be on planet Z. Like I'm not there and I'm, I'm just as oblivious uh, sitting in my chair, staring into the the darkness of my own psyche as I am listening to Hank and John Green talk about the darkness of my own psyche. Right. Yeah. So no, I think I, that I this is a dumb rule uh, and main... RJ should be allowed to listen to a podcast specifically because there's a great podcast he should be listening to. And he's listening to it right now. Hi, RJ. I, I was going to recommend my brother, my brother and me, but I guess this one's all right. Um, <laughs> the only thing that I would say in the way of real actual advice, RJ, is that when I was a kid and to some extent still now, uh, I, I had this trick that I, used uh, to distract myself uh, when I had to be alone with my thoughts, which was that I uh, just doubled numbers. So I would say 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1024, 2048, 4192, 8,300. We get it, John. You know a lot of numbers. And then I would just keep going until I, I very slowly in my head, which is a great distraction. Let's move on, Hank. Mm-hmm. I think we've spent 45 minutes answering this question. Maybe it's time to move on to a different one. I think that's probably, probably a pretty good idea. We got one. John, it's from Jackie. Can I do another one? Should I Should I do another one right now? I feel like sure, it is to two ahead. in a row. Okay, it's from Jackie. And I love this question, too, because it lets me talk about Snapchat. Dear Hank and John, I'm on the older side of the generation, sometimes called millennials, and I feel like I'm unique in the fact that I just don't get Snapchat. It's in all caps. I have one, but I don't use it. I got bored. What's so great about it? Why not just use Instagram? Oh, Jackie, you're so confused. Well, I think the reason not to use Instagram is because uh, Snapchat embraces the temporariness of human existence uh, in a way that Instagram doesn't. Well, I mean, yeah, Instagram is like Snapchat is a, is primarily a messaging app, which is not what Instagram is at all. Uh, you know, Snapchat has become also a social app, but it, it started out as a messaging app. So just like me sending you basically a text. And this is the thing that I didn't understand about Snapchat when I first heard about it. 
when I'm sending you a Snapchat, like I send Snapchats to my wife, even as a 35 year old man, which is weird. Um, I will be doing something that I know she will know that I spent some time on. So I take a picture, I draw on the picture and I leave a little note. Uh, and I'm like, I wanted you to see this thing. And that's like, uh, it's like a new form of greeting card. It's like a way of, of like spending some time making a thing for a person, which is like, I think it's lovely. Uh, of course, that other person has to be on and active on Snapchat in order to get and appreciate that message. But I think that's a lot of the reason why people do it. And also this feature of the temporariness of the Snapchat as an object uh, seems to, uh, you know, my brain initially to be a bug, not a feature. Like, I want all things to last forever so that I don't lose the things that construct me. Because losing those things is kind of like little deaths all the time. And I don't want to lose those things because I want to continue to keep all those parts of me alive. But for someone who's been raised in a world where all things always last forever, that can be terrifying. And it's wonderful to think that you can create something and then it will go away. And you don't have to worry about it being a part of who you are forever. You can change. And people who are young change very fast. And and they kind of don't necessarily want those parts of themselves that are uh, that that like that are representative of who they were once to be representative of who they are forever. And that's a very understandable thing to me. That And that, to me, is the, uh, is the sort of core functionality of Snapchat and how most people use it, which is not mostly how I use it. I use it as a way to interact with an audience because I have one. I enjoyed that answer, and I don't want to add to it because I think that this might be one of the few episodes where you talk more than me. So instead, we're just going to move on to another question from Matt, <laughs> okay. who writes, Dear John and Hank, love the podcast. Thank you, Matt. Um, I have I have real trouble dealing with laughs that are just too far over the top. They make me think that nothing can possibly be that funny. I find it very hard to concentrate or enjoy myself when around an over-the-top laugher. How do you deal with this? Well, Matt, fortunately, I don't have to because I myself am an over-the-top laugher, and so I don't even know what it's like not to be one. As am I. We just aren't going to hang out, you and you and me, Matt. It's just not going to work out between us. Do you like this podcast? I feel like we over-the-top laugh all the time. hey oh. Um, I, so, uh, I, I went to a play recently, uh, that my friend Nat Wolf was in, who's also in the movies, uh, Paper Towns and the Fault in Our Stars. And, uh, right as soon as the play ended, I got a text from Nat that said, uh, it just said, I could hear your laugh the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, it's not that loud of, it's not that loud of a laugh. And he was like, I could hear your laugh and only your laugh. And it was almost impossible to be in the play and not be like, that is John laughing. <laughs> I uh, I once watched a movie in a small movie theater, like a little independent movie theater. And then afterward, a woman came up to me and she said, I think your laugh is lovely. <laughs> I, <laughs> I almost like, never get compliments on my laugh. I just get observations about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, it's the o- literally the only time. But I was uh, I was very pleased <laughs> and and, uh, and it made me feel good because I don't like I like uh, Matt, I I do worry that uh that the people around you will will notice and and laugh less and i think that laughing is one of the best things uh and so i i worry about the potential effect that your your opinions of laughter might have on the people around you and make them laugh less because they're worried uh, they're self-conscious about their laughter, which I, I never want anyone to be. Yeah, I have one friend who has what seems to me a, a weird uh, laugh, and I can't help but notice it whenever they laugh. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to 
risk gender identifying them for fear that they will uh, know about this and be devastated. Um, and I know that I have that laugh for a lot of people. Like I know a lot of people are like, oh my God, like he's a nice guy, but that laugh, is he kidding? Yeah. No, I'm not kidding. I'm just in love with the world. Um, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I, now, now we're both so self-conscious. Yeah, I'm like, about I'm going to laugh like laughing. this. I have this problem when I edit myself, uh, when I edit, like especially conversations, um, I will... You know, when, I, when I'm just being normal Hank, and right now I'm sort of being podcast Hank, so I have more of a robust laugh. But, like, normal Hank laugh is very, like, uh, especially if it's sort of, it's just, like, laughing at the the fun little parts of a conversation that aren't super funny. You're just sort of, like, you're reacting. It's very, it's like a wheezy noise. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> like that, that I just hate. And I always do it yeah. on top of people's sentences. So it's very difficult to edit the video because I'm yeah, like, I hear this like weird wheezing yeah. begin as soon as it's time for for, for yeah. like right before the end of their sentence. Yeah, and then you think like, well, I guess I just need, I guess yeah. I need to keep the laugh in because otherwise people won't will be confused by what that wheeze is. But like, I hate the laugh and also it's an unnecessary three seconds in the video. I can totally relate to that, which has nothing to do with Matt's question. No, it does not. We are not. so far off the rails, Hank. We sure are, uh, All John. we can say, Matt, is that you, uh, you, you just judge silently. Always mm-hmm. be, a, it's, okay, it's okay to be a silent judger. It's better than being a loud judger. <laughs> Put it on a shirt. Put that one on a shirt. Uh, we have another question, Hank. This one comes from Gypsy, who asks, Dear John and Hank, I have a beautiful greyhound named Alaska. I adopted her because of Lemon and Hank's videos on... Aww. I adopted her because of Lemon and Hank's video on saving greyhounds. Oh, Hank, that's so sweet. And that she named it sweet. Alaska. It's so I great. It. Thank you so I did much. It. I did it. She falls asleep as soon as I start playing your podcast. Your voices must be very soothing for her. She howls and cries whenever we leave the house. So I was thinking if I could play your podcast for her while we're gone, it might calm her down. How do you suggest I do this? As I cannot obviously leave my phone at home playing it and I don't have an iPod and she'll definitely destroy my laptop if it's left out. Do you have any suggestions? Yes, Gypsy. I have a solution that suits both of us very, very well, which is that Hank and I would like to send you an iPod in exchange for you playing our podcast on a loop over and over to your Greyhound, which will be great for our download numbers and great for your Greyhound. And third, great for you because free iPod. So write us at uh, hankandjohn at gmail.com. We'll get you an iPod. Oh, damn. We're giving away iPods now, John. No, just that one. Just just one. And only because the person agreed to listen to our podcast over and over, or at least have her, her dog listen. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We got another question. This is from Sarah, John. You want to hear a question from Sarah? Yes. She asks, Dear Hank and John, I find myself in awkward situations quite often, but there is always one that seems to be recurring. When people compliment me, uh, it's interesting that you say that uh, it's recurring. People compliment me so often, and I just don't know what to do. I always seem to just smile and nod along with and awkwardly laugh. How is someone supposed to respond to compliments? Do I compliment back? Please help. Well, I was just talking about this time that a woman came up to me in public and, and complimented me on my laugh, and she was a stranger. And uh, and that was well into uh, my history with uh, figuring out how to deal with this uh, because I used to suck at it a lot. And I think that there is there is kind of a problem with the way that we are taught to respond to compliments, which is just to basically say, no, I'm not that great. Um, 
and uh, or, or, or basically invalidate their opinion by saying, like, you're wrong, I'm, I'm nothing special. Right. What you want to do instead is you want to uh, acknowledge the compliment and uh, share with the person who complimented you how it made you feel. Um, so some way of saying, you know, uh, thanks, that's very, that's very kind, or uh, thanks, you know, I really needed that today. I don't think it makes sense to respond immediately with a compliment of your own because it's weird, right? So, like... Uh, Like, for instance, if someone says to you, oh, my gosh, I love that Doctor Who T-shirt, you could say, thank you. What you don't want to say is, thank you. I love your scarf. Because if you say I love your scarf, it's clear we all know what you're doing there, yeah. right? Like that isn't that isn't born of a natural love for the scarf. It's born of like a panicked looking at the person and trying to identify something that you can compliment <laughs> about them. And all when you say I love your scarf, all it makes me think is, oh wow, every other part of me must be totally reprehensible uh, because this person needed to find a compliment, and the only thing they could find was my scarf. <laughs> um, uh, though you can compliment them on their compliment by saying something like, oh, I love Doctor Who. Do you also love yes. Doctor Who? I find that great people love Doctor Who. Or uh, thanks for saying that. It's always, it's. I, I really appreciate people who take the time to say nice things to people. Um, like that sort of thing. Like, like, ju- like, I like the idea of appreciating people's appreciation and because I think that that breeds more, and I think that appreciation is one of the vital currencies of human interaction that is in demand and uh, in short supply. Hank, I like that we've gone back to agreeing uh, after our brief fight over uh, the the, <laughs> the deathliness of boredom. The stupidest thing. Uh, I'm really glad that we've gone yes, back okay. to just the old school Hank and John always on the same page uh, business. Speaking of which, let's ask, let's answer. I was just going to say, I think we should disagree more. There has to be some tension in the pod, Well, John. but unfortunately, I just don't often disagree with you, at least not about important things. I disagree with you about silly things like, you know, zombies versus unicorns or whether Batman is an interesting superhero. But we don't disagree about, like, the core deep down stuff. I think possibly because we were raised by the same parents. Right, like Snapchat. We agree on Snapchat. Uh, I do. I like Snapchat more than I used to because I now understand it to be a messaging app, not a social media app. And I like it, uh, you know, like Sarah and I have also started using it. And it is, it's it's like a sweet way to, as you said, like make a greeting card. So I am, I would say, 40% converted to Snapchat. But in general, I have to say that uh, I find my overall interest in virtual experiences mm-hmm. uh, and virtual networks to have declined yes. in the last year. Yeah. For the first time in my whole life. Uh, I mean, since I was you know, 12, and my dad brought home the internet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I have liked the internet more every year until last year. And that's kind of a distressing turn of events in my own life, but I'll get over it. Okay, well, you should make a video about that. I'd love to hear more. Uh, And I I am... I'm kind of there with you. I don't know how to make a video about it, though. I don't know how to talk about it because it almost... I think... It's very sad. It... it, it, I'm going to seem ungrateful, mm-hmm. I think, if I talk about it honestly. Like, I'm going to seem, uh, yeah, I'm going to seem like the kind of person I don't want to be, which maybe I am. I don't know. But I I, yeah, I, 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 don't think I'm settled enough to make a video about it. Instead, I think I'm going to make tomorrow's video about uh, how Looking for Alaska was just announced as the most challenged book of last oh. year by the American Library Association. Um, but Panama Papers, is, John, I need you to explain it to me. Uh, I was going to make a video about... Um, 
uh, how to make a million dollars a year and only pay $45,000 in taxes. Uh, but then mm. it proved to be so complicated that I gave up yes. on it. The Panama Papers are complicated because corporate law is intentionally complicated because yes. that's how tax avoidance basically at its core works is by being too complex to uh, effectively unravel. And so trying mm -hmm. to make a video about it is just completely overwhelming to me. And I'm working like day and night on my novel. And so I don't really have a ton of energy to uh, spend on the Panama Papers. But I hope you make a video about it. I would greatly enjoy your take. Uh, it's not going to happen because I got a lot of other stuff to do. Well, see you there. We're both in the same boat. Let's answer one more question before we get to the all-important news from AFC Wimbledon and the slightly important news from Mars. <laughs> okay, John. Do you, I, I have one that I've wanted to ask since the beginning that I haven't got to yet. Sure. This is a more serious question, John. Uh, it's from mm. Margaret, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm in a rather dire need of some dubious advice. I'm very passionate about gymnastics. I practice four hours a day and six days per wow. week. But I have wow. recently fractured my spine, and even though it will Ouch. heal, and it's not as threatening as it sounds, I have to take six months off. I'm pretty devastated, and I was wondering what you think are good ways to find joy and happiness and purpose when I could not do what I want to be doing. This is something I think about a lot because I I am also a dedicated gymnast. Uh, not actually, uh, but I, I am, yeah. I cannot touch my toes, but I am worried that the thing that I love and, and want to do will somehow be taken away from me, whether that's because it will just become like the, th this thing will become less interesting culturally, uh, whether that's the pod or it's the, the videos or because like, uh, some terrible thing will happen in my life where I can't do it anymore. So I, I do think about this. Uh, do, do you want to talk about it, John, or should just I? Well, I, I actually have a little bit of direct experience in the field um, mm. without being like overly dramatic. Uh, after uh, my book, The Fault in Our Stars, came out, the uh, like attention and wide readership and success of it was so uh, overwhelming and paralyzing to me that it became totally impossible to write, which I had never been a problem in, in my life. And I'd always made fun of writer's block and... Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't that I it wasn't that I couldn't, uh, you know, write words down on a page. It was that I, I couldn't have the experience of writing that I loved, uh, which was this experience of sort of being alone inside of a story, uh, navigating my way through it, feeling like I wasn't stuck inside of my, my body or myself. Um, and all of that was taken away from me because I was just so hyper conscious of the audience and what people would think and what people would say and and the fact that I might have to publish it someday and I couldn't get that stuff out of my head. Um, and I think that, that's a pretty common problem among writers who have uh, successful books. And a lot of times it's the end of, you know, it's the end of their career. Like for uh, you know, a couple writers come to mind, uh, J.D. Salinger never wrote a novel after Catching the Rye and uh, Harper Lee never wrote a novel after To Kill a Mockingbird. And I think um, uh it was really hard. It was it, it was a bad time in my life, and it's only really just ended in the last 10 months or so. Um, and the, what I did uh, and what I would recommend you do, Margaret, is I found other stuff that I liked doing, mm -hmm. and I tried to treat uh, this setback as an opportunity to explore those things. So uh, I couldn't write, and that sucked, and I had, you know, written really every pretty much every day since 2002. Um, and I couldn't do that, but I could do other stuff that I liked doing. Uh, that's a lot of where the initial energy behind Crash Course World History came for me. Uh, a lot of the energy 
behind the podcast came for me, lots of other things too. I just had to find other things that I liked doing mm-hmm. uh, and and get excited about them. Yes. Uh, and I'm sure that there are those things in, in your life, whether it's reading or writing, uh, you know, fan fiction about Chewbacca and Han Solo having a romantic relationship, whatever it is, that you just find that stuff and you celebrate it and get excited about it and sort of use that... Um, as a focus for your energy until you can get back to training. Yeah, yeah I, I that is a lot of exactly what I wanted to say, John. You, we agree too much. Uh, I, I will yeah. also say that in general, when we dedicate ourselves to things uh, day in day out, it can and those things then you know temporarily or forever go away. That can seem like a, a tremendous end. Uh, and that, and almost like a waste. Like we've spent all of this time doing this thing that we can no longer do. But while uh, you know there are certainly things that you have learned while doing gymnastics that aren't directly applicable to other stuff, there are lots of things that we, when we dedicate ourselves to anything, that we learn that will be very applicable to anything else. And like things like how to how to you know control yourself, how to dedicate yourself, how to get excited, how to interact with other people, how to uh, you know like. Like self-control is just a huge thing in all of our lives and will always be, and obviously something that uh, you have you have found a way to uh, to get at, uh, and and I think that's that's the important thing, like that you find other ways, uh, you know, in this six months and in the future when you are no longer doing gymnastics because that's not tend doesn't tend to be something people do for their whole lives. Um, that uh, you find ways to dedicate yourself in, like find those same wells of passion for new things, and uh, and and find ways to apply the skills that you have learned to the new things that you are into. And I'm sorry to hear about your injury, and I hope that you recover quickly. Uh, and this podcast is brought to you by the Rapid Recovery of Margaret. Uh, the <laughs> The rapid recovery of Margaret, uh, hopefully six months or less. <laughs> and this podcast is also brought to you by Overenthusiastic Laughter. Overenthusiastic <laughs> Laughter. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by Judging Silently. Judging Silently, the correct response to Overenthusiastic Laughter. And of course, this podcast is brought to you by boredom. Boredom, the closest thing we have to understanding death itself. Ah, the unavoidable darkness inside of all of us. <laughs> and I also want to say this podcast is brought to you by our uh, supporters on Patreon. Uh, if you want to go there and participate in the community, uh, we also do a, a monthly live stream before we, we record so that we can talk a little bit with y'all. And those are always really fun. Uh, it tends to be the first Tuesday of the month. And uh, is that right, John? I think it's, uh, I don't know. But can I say one more thing about Margaret, though? But yes, thank you to our Patreon yeah. uh, subscribers. You know, I, I was I was just thinking, you love gymnastics, but that doesn't mean you are gymnastics. And a lot of times those two ideas get kind of commingled in our heads. Like, I mean, for me specifically as a writer, you know, mm-hmm. in a way you are your writing because I, I say I say out loud, I am a writer or, or I am a gymnast, which I'm not. Um, and that makes you think of it as not just something that you love, but something that's that's you. And when that's taken away, it feels like you have lost you. Um, but you haven't, of course, because 
you are a gymnast, but you're also, of course, many other things. And I would just uh, encourage you to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets... Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Um, uh, we got some news from, from Mars, John, if you're interested in that. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to do a couple quick updates, Hank, if we could. Oh, about other things besides Mars and AFC Wimbledon? Just previous things that we talked about on the podcast. First off, I just wanted to say Ryan's name a couple times, Ryan, Ryan. And then the other thing is yeah. Oriana wrote in, and I thought this was a really interesting comment because when we were talking about drive through, uh, drive throughs and who like should be allowed to use the drive through lane and the fact that we mm-hmm. think that like families with 10 children should be allowed to use the drive through lane because it's such a pain to unhook your kids from their car seats. Uh, Oriana wrote in and she uh, made a great observation, which is that we were thinking about that only from the perspective of the people using the drive through lane. She writes, mm-hmm. Dear John and Hank, we need to talk about drive throughs and your recent comments on them. I'm a university student who supports herself by working part time during the school year at an establishment which includes a drive through. Drive throughs are supposed to be fast. <laughs> Way to be vague. This is so. This yeah. is so much the case that most corporate fast food businesses impose mandatory drive-through time standards. Where I work at peak hours, we're allotted mm. a maximum average of 50 seconds for the entire process of ordering, paying, and receiving food. There's a timer over the window that counts as the person sits there trying to find their change and begins to wow. flash red after 20 seconds. If people sit at the speaker thinking about what Ooh. they want for two minutes, that counts toward our times. If we don't consistently meet our corporate standards, our store risks being shut down, which makes owners come Come down hard on managers and managers come down hard on employees. So if you have 10 children, perhaps consider sending one of the adults into the store to purchase the food. If this isn't an option and you must come through the drive through at least figure out what everyone wants before you pull up and try to have your wallet out and your payment ready when you get to the window. That's a great observation. Thank you, Oriana. Wow. I mean, there is there is a piece of me that uh, is very frustrated with the with the established corporate structure that should 
except that there are places and times when lots of families will be going through the drive-thru, and thus there is a reason that has nothing to do with employees why it is taking Yeah, but that said, we live in the world in which we live, so if you're using a drive-thru, remember, Oriana, bring your, have your payment and your order ready. Yes, have your payment and your order ready, and uh, especially if you've got, if if there's a line, uh, it, it, would would it amazes me when I I feel like there's a line and I've been waiting in the drive-through for like six cars and then the car ahead of me has like one person in it and then they're they're clearly just thinking and I'm like what are you thinking about you've had you've had like twenty minutes to decide there's there's only so many items on the menu all right I also want to point out one other Do thing it. Hank uh, Nicole and Stephen wrote in uh, dear John and Hank on this week's podcast you mentioned that your GPA in college does not matter. While this may be true for you, it is not true in certain fields, which is a really good point. Uh, they include medical mm. school or other specialized grad schools, most PhD programs, especially in the sciences, and uh, and if you apply for certain positions in the scientific industry, like uh, doing benchtop work at wet labs, they look at your lab GPA. Mm. So sometimes your GPA in college does matter. Yeah, I've been thinking about that question a lot, actually. I, I have continued to think about it, and and uh, and... And I don't know that we did the be- the best job of answering that particular question, which was about uh, whether, like, how frustrating it can be to watch, to struggle with work while watching other people cheat and get good grades in college. Yeah. And no, I agree. We might have been, we were pretty dubious. We're generally dubious, yes. but we were, we might have put, put a, like a little bit of dubious sauce on the dubious burger. <laughs> it sounds delicious, though. Can I get it in the drive-thru? <laughs> um that's a that's a great point, Nicole and Stephen. Um, and I also just like there's uh, in thinking about that question, I have I have continued to think that that it is just so it is always so difficult to feel like direct injustice um, and uh, and to know that like this thing is happening and I'm being negatively impacted by doing the right thing. Yeah, it is annoying. Ugh! And. Uh, and I do want to I do want to commiserate with people who are in, in in those situations and certainly not invalidate their feelings. I agree. Hank, what is the week's news from Mars? So, John, you know uh, how here on Earth we spend a lot of time, you know, you particularly worrying about uh, things that could cause the destruction of the human race, like uh, like asteroid impacts, comet impact, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would say, uh, I, you know, maybe that the impact of a comet a uh, large comet the size of say West Virginia or something that's pretty big but we'll just say that uh would be a bad thing for earth life on earth right um i think it would be very bad so that would be a very bad thing for life on earth however according to recent research the uh the periods of time when lots of things asteroids and comets bombarded early in the the sort of formation of the solar system bombarded earth and mars and a, a lot of the inner planets and probably a lot of the outer planets though there's less evidence out there because they're made of gas uh and created like all the craters on the moon and a lot of craters on mars uh these uh periods of time are thought of as uh hostile times right but according to recent research, it looks like they might have been very good times for life on Mars because uh, in addition to the, uh, the, the, the constant bombardment of, of, and, and the, the changes to the surface that this would create and the instability that it would, would create both on Earth and, Earth and on Mars, it would add water and heat to Mars, which are two things that would be very good for Mars uh, in terms of the being 
habitable, uh, good for life. And so you would see things like uh, sort of Yellowstone National Parky areas, places where there's uh, there's heat. Uh, that could be used for for life. There's uh, weird chemicals that are forming, and those chemicals could be digested. Uh, that they they might contain uh, be formed because of the heat, and then as they cool off, they could be digested, and and the energy that was stored in them by the heat could be used by organisms. And uh, so you have these geothermal areas, you have more water, and in general, the uh, best time on Mars for life might have been those periods of time, which we would consider the least, hot, the least like sort of conducive to life for Earth, but indeed also may have been good times for microbial life on Earth. And more and more, we're thinking that Mars might have been a really good place for microbial life uh, just at this point, no longer uh, one of the, one of the uh, sort of oases of the universe that earth has become where not just life exists but life is on the life that is on the life on the life there's so much life it's everywhere and you can't get away from it uh, even even in your own body john you're covered in life oh, really especially in your own body uh <laughs> covered in life both inside and out it's like uh it's like a, just a life what is it what is it like it's like you're uh it's like you're a life sandwich. <laughs> Absolutely. Where, where I, I am the meat in the middle, and I got life on the inside and outside of me. You're more of a life donut, John. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get to the news from AFC Wimbledon. I am distressed by the news from Mars. Um, so, Hank, you uh, may know that your six-year-old nephew, Henry, my son, is a soccer player. He plays uh, in a a kid's soccer league under sevens and uh he had a game as it happened during the exact same time as afc wimbledon's game this weekend oh my goodness which made for some very compelling watching on my part uh henry's team won uh he played great and uh afc wimbledon playing plymouth one of the top five teams in league two uh was winning one nil thanks to a goal from the montserrat and messi that man lyle taylor and then uh they gave up a goal uh, Plymouth uh, is was heavily favored in the game. Um, and then it was looking like it was going to be a 1-1 draw, which did not suit AFC Wimbledon's interests really at all. Um, and then in the 88th minute, Autobio Akinfenwa, the largest man in professional football, scored a Autobio Akinfenwa brilliant vintage goal. Uh, coming on as a substitute, scores a goal, AFC Wimbledon wins 2-1, and suddenly finds themselves not in 10th, where they were last week, but in 7th, the final playoff position. 7th wow. place goes into the playoffs, uh, 4, 5, 6, 7 all play each other in the playoffs uh, for for one spot in, in League One, the third tier of English football. And AFC Wimbledon are currently sitting in that final playoff position, level on points with the teams in 8th and ninth, but with a better goal difference, and just two points ahead of the teams in 10th and 11th, and only three points ahead uh, of the team in 12th. So uh, there are basically a lot of teams fighting for that final playoff spot. Mm -hmm. But right now, AFC Wimbledon is in the driver's seat. I would also add that they have a game in hand, having played one less game than all the other teams um, that are uh, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. are looking to get that final playoff spot. It is tense at the top, Hank. It is very, very tight. AFC Wimbledon having a far better season than anyone anticipated, I think it's safe to say. Um, and and after that win, uh, consecutive wins against uh, Wickham and uh, Plymouth, both teams uh, likely to go to the playoffs. Uh, it is, well, I mean, it's looking 
possible. I'm dreaming. That's exciting, John. I I cannot. I I am very pleased that uh, AFC Wimbledon has had such an exciting season for us to talk about here on Dear Hank and John because it could easily have been super boring. I mean, uh, we're very lucky because most seasons, the season would be well over by now or, uh, you know, we'd be looking down at the bottom of the table in true epic fear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, so how many games are there left? Well, that depends on which team you are. If you are any of AFC Wimbledon's opponents, uh, there are six games, uh, five games left. And if you are AFC Wimbledon, there are six games left. So uh, other than Mm -hmm. Portsmouth, which is one uh, spot ahead of us on the table, all the teams that are likely to go to the playoffs have played 41 games. Uh, We have only played 40. So it is uh, is tense and it is tight. Uh, According to uh, bookies... And like gambling professionals, AFC Wimbledon has about a 66% chance of going to the playoffs, which, I mean, again, that would just be an amazing result mm-hmm. for the year. Uh, but I am, I am properly dreaming now. I have, I, have, uh, I have figured out how I am going to get to the playoff final should, should they make it there. Wow. I'm going to have to drive directly from the Indianapolis 500 to the airport. Oh, my goodness. They'd have to win the first game. And then go to the final after that. Uh, the first game is actually kind of a home and away. It's two games. So it's like okay. cumulative score over those two games. You play one away and one at home. And then if you win okay. th- that, then you get to go to the playoff final. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's there's a 66% chance of AFC Wimbledon having a 25% chance of getting into week one. So it's not... Uh, you know, the odds are, are, are still <laughs> stacked well against yeah. them. But uh, I am... Oh, hope is the thing with feathers. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Congratulations, John. I'm excited uh, for you and even a little excited for myself. So that's saying something. (laughs) Yes, it's happening. What did we learn today, John? Well, we learned that Gypsy's getting an iPod. (laughs) That's what you get for adopting a Greyhound. Uh, It's the only way to be a truly good person. No. Kinds of I do want to world. encourage people. Good people and do, people do, do who don't own greyhounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we learned that you can accept compliments, and that's a good thing to do, to appreciate other people's appreciations, even if it is difficult because we are taught to be humble folk. We learned that you must have your order and your method of payment ready when you get to the drive through Absolutely, and we learned that... We are surrounded by an infinite desert that is space. <laughs> is it infinite? I, we're not sure, John. We're, it prob- it's, there's a fair chance. Wow. There's a 25% chance that there's a 67% chance that it's infinite. <laughs> yeah, if AFC Wimbledon make it to League One, I'm announcing that the universe is infinite. Because <laughs> how else could it have happened? Yeah, exactly. I mean, only only in an infinite universe full of infinite possibilities can a team like AFC Wimbledon uh, make it not to the eighth tier of English football or even to the fourth tier, but to the third tier. Just two promotions away from the Premier League, Hank. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It's hard not to imagine a day when the John Green stand is hosting uh, Manchester United fans. But we'll see. You know, John, I think that, that that may be a little out of your budget at that point. 
It probably will be, uh, but you know, I have an existing, I have an existing relationship. Well, hopefully by then I'll be super rich from having made the AFC Wimbledon movie. Yeah, <laughs> everyone knows that's where the real money is. All right, John. Uh, I just <laughs> want to thank you for being a podcaster with me. I want to thank all of the people uh, for sending in their questions, which you can do. You can send them to hankandjohn at gmail.com. We are also Hank Green and John Green on Twitter. You can find us there. That's two different Twitter handles, not just the one. Uh, we have our Patreon at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn, which helps pay for our intern and uh, and the editor of this podcast. Our, our intern is Claudia Morales. Our editor is Nicholas Jenkins. Rosiana Hals Rojas uh, helps us find good questions in the Dear Hank and John email address. Again, hankandjohn at gmail.com. Uh, our theme music is by Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome. Did I get all the things? You did, but I, I, I forgot to say don't forget to be awesome with you, so we're going to do it again because that's how we go out. <laughs> oh, I did, it po- I, did it very, I did it very poorly. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.